Good morning, church. Uh, we're meeting outside today, and some couldn't make it, and so uh, we're posting this video and hoping that uh, you enjoy it. We're going to be in Luke 24, beginning with verse 13. Now, uh, I wanted to call this the road to resurrection life. Uh, we celebrated Easter, the resurrection, but that has some implications after the resurrection for us as believers today. And the road to resurrection life uh, uh, is uh, very important that we uh, understand it. Uh, for instance, uh, sometimes in the darkest days of, of world history, we can see God at work. God's always at work bringing about our good. Uh, for instance, way back in 1809, Napoleon was conquering most of Europe. He was on center stage and he literally bathed Europe in its own blood, okay? But within five years of him doing that, the Duke of Wellington defeated him at Waterloo, Belgium, and we, we understand that. But when it was such a dark day, here's, here's what, how God was at work. Uh, there were many people born that were destined to change history. Uh, Frederick Chopin was born in 1809, ended up being one of the world's leading composers of beautiful, beautiful music. William Gladstone, the lawyer, was born in 1809 and he grew up to serve six years as Great Britain's prime minister. Uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes, the American author and physician, was born in 1809. Edward Fitzgerald was born in, in 1809. Uh, Abraham Lincoln was born in 1809. We could keep going on. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe was born in 1809. Uh, Felix Mendenhausen, the great German composer, was born. Many others were born during that time. Cyrus B. Uh, McCormick, who invented the threshing machine for farming, was born in 1809. God was at work even when things were dark. Even when things were dark, God was at work in the resurrection. All right. Even in the dark days we have now, with everything that's happened to our country, with the direction our country is going, we need to understand God is still on His throne. He's still at work. And so, what does the resurrection road look like? What does it mean to us now, living after the resurrection? And basically, it's very simple. Jesus' resurrection gives us hope. Hope for life now. Hope for life eternal. But it's hope. It's a word we don't hear a lot of. Do we have hope? We have resurrection hope because of Jesus. And so I wanted to read this and then we're going to uh, look at some things that are, I hope, uh, practical about our resurrection hope. Let's start with the word of prayer and then we'll read God's word. Father, we thank you for your word and how it blesses us. We thank you for um, giving us the Holy Spirit to speak to us through your word to teach us, to bring it to our memory, uh, to guide us and direct us. And Holy Spirit, take this time and use it to honor and glorify Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, for rising from the dead, um, conquering sin and death in the grave for us. And Father, now remind us of the reasons we have to be hopeful even in our day and in our culture because you are alive. These things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So. Luke 24, beginning verse 13, it said, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day. It's the day when uh, 
Jesus had, had been appearing to the different disciples. And they're, they're traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they walked together, and they talked of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. The word means he overtook them. All right? But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. He said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? And the Greek there means that they sort of hesitated and bowed their heads when he asked that question, just sort of like in grief. And then one, one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have you not known the things which happened in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this today, it was the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive and certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women said but him they did not see they would not believe the women a woman's testimony wasn't even allowed in the court of law in jewish days verse 25 then he said to them O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? And verse 27 is one of the keys. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded them in the scriptures all the things concerning himself. And then they drew near to the village where they were going. And he indicated that he would have gone further. But they constrained him. In other words, they grabbed a hold of him. They begged him, stay with us. Saying, abide with us. For it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. And it came to pass as he sat at the table with them. They took bread, blessed it, and he broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were open and they knew him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while we talked while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Say, so they arose that very hour, returned to Jerusalem, found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And then Jesus appears to all of them again so what do these appearances mean what what does it mean to us this resurrection road this this resurrection road of life the first thing it means is companionship companionship now by companionship we know this in in verses 13 through 16 as we read this that first of all there was two walking these two were walking. Can you imagine them? They're two of Jesus' followers. Evidently, they had been in that upper room with the rest of his followers, waiting. 
and, and they're headed towards this village. They're discouraged. They're disheartened. They're disenchanted. I think they're totally disillusioned. And their faces, their very, where they walked, uh, the way they talked, obviously told people around them that that's where they were. Now, what I want us to understand when I talk about companionship, it's when we're down like that. It's when life isn't going right. That's when often Jesus is the closest to us. He's promised never to leave us nor forsake us. That doesn't just mean the good times. It means also these times when we are low. It means all the time. But when we're really hurting and we really need him, all we have to do is look and ask, and he's there. He's close to us. Then there's the talk. They talk about all that had happened, Jesus' death, his burial, talk of his resurrection. Now, I think that's important. What they were talking about is something we don't talk as much about in our day. But we need to talk about Christ coming. We need to talk about him dying on the cross for my sin and for your sin. We need to talk about him raising from the dead. It'll do us good to remember our hope is not in the circumstances of this life. It's not in the people of this life. It's not in the power of this life. It's in Jesus Christ. The early church focused that he wasn't left on the cross. He wasn't left in the tomb. But he rose from the dead. And we need to talk about that among ourselves. And remember our hope. And let it stir us on to good works. So we have the two, the talk. And then we have the traveler in verse 13 or 15. He says, Jesus drew near. He went with them. In the Greek, as I said, it means he overtook them. It's like he's hurriedly catching up to them. He had an appointment with them. They didn't know it. Their eyes were restrained from seeing and recognizing who he is. Uh, you remember that, that uh, Mary Magdalene didn't recognize Jesus at first, whether it was the tears in her eyes or... Uh, here's what I think it is. I think his resurrection body, uh, they, you could still know him, but they weren't expecting to see him. They had saw him die. When, when we know somebody's dead, we don't walk around the corner and expect to see them. I mean, we may think they'll be there, but we don't expect to see them. But their eyes were restrained. And never are we so high or so low that Jesus doesn't want our companionship. He is faithful to overtake us, to walk with us in the journey, to make sure we know that he is there. And he promised in Matthew 28, 20, never leave us, forsake us. He promised us in John 15 to send another helper, a comforter to us. Uh, he promised that the Holy Spirit would live within us so that we would feel his presence. And we need to ask ourselves this question. Have we experienced the companionship of Jesus? He wants to commune with us. He wants us to dwell in him and him in us. That's the way fruit is produced, if you remember John 15. But, but it, it's based on our obedience to the word. It's based on belief. It's based on our walk with him. Life is a journey. It's from this life to the next, or it's from here to our eternal home. It's a journey, and it's a journey that's wrought with perils. It's full of them. It's a journey where we can become discouraged. It's a journey where we feel hurt sometimes. We still feel pain. 
but it's still a journey that we're to walk with Jesus. He wants to be our companion to never leave us nor forsake us. He's as close as the air we breathe. We can cry out day or night, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, and Jesus hears us. So yeah, but he's not answering me. The answer is either wait or no or yes. And we don't like to wait and we don't like no. But he's here. And too often we depend on, try to depend on everybody else but Jesus to get us going, to help us over the hump, to help us to feel better. But do we understand that Jesus is there for us? to empower us, to help us. The second thing I see is not just companionship, it's communication. Jesus asks him a question. He gives him an inquiry, okay? What are you talking about that makes you so sad? You see, we forget that our God's the God of hope. We forget that these folks have gone to the lowest depths. All their dreams seem to have been crushed. They expected Jesus not to die on a cross, but to rise and conquer the Romans, to restore the glory of Israel. That's the preconceived ideas they had about the Messiah. But he's there to help us hope. He's there to communicate with us. They forget, and we forget, that we're supposed to bring life's hurts to him. 1 Peter 5, 7 says it this way, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. None of us like to have help or have to have help, okay? We like to do it on our own. We're sort of like my uh, granddaughter to be too. And she'll say, uh, uh-uh, I can do it. Even when she can't, she wants to try it on her own. And we're like that too often in our steps of faith. I can do it and we fall and we're hurt and we wonder what happened and then we realize we didn't give it to Jesus. We didn't allow him to help. You see, he's there to commune with us, to guide us, to direct us. Um, And so Jesus asked him, what are you talking about? But then we get the incredulous answer. Cleopas, the one who's identified of these two followers, says, Are you the only stranger that doesn't know what happened in Jerusalem these days? He's flabbergasted. He's amazed. He he can't even believe that somebody didn't know what happened to Jesus. And they recount that their leaders delivered him up to the Romans and they crucified him. But he had been mighty indeed and in power. They had placed their hopes on him that he was the Messiah. He would restore everything. And now he died on a cross. And yet when the women went there, they said the tomb was empty and they saw a vision of the resurrected Christ. But they're not believing it. They're really refusing to believe. They don't want to hear the communication. At times when our hopes, maybe our dreams, our wonder in Jesus needs to be renewed. We need to see him as the risen Lord who is right here with us, wanting to communicate with us. Too often we communicate with God and with uh, one another even, the same way the old farmer did with his wife. The wife said, I've had enough. 
I'm leaving. He said, oh, don't leave. Don't leave. And he said, well, let's go see somebody. So they went to see the local pastor to get some advice. And they're sitting there, and she's recounting all this stuff going on, and says, finally, he never tells me he loves me. And the pastor looked at him and said, well, Fred, he said, hmm, I told her when we were married, first day, that I loved her. If it changes, I'll tell her. And we think that's communication. Listen, nothing, nothing takes the place of spending time alone without phones, without tablets, without any communication devices. Nothing takes the place of getting away and spending alone time with God, with His Word. And it needs to be a regular thing. It needs to be like the most important uh, appointment we have. It needs to be like, okay, every day I've got to be at work a certain time, but every day I've got to be here in this place where I've designated it's my set time with God. And He will meet us there. And He will communicate with us there. People look at me like I'm crazy, but when you read the Word of God, it's alive and active and sharper than two any two-edged sword. And the Holy Spirit uses that to enliven our minds, to renew us, to let us know that we are loved, to let us know that He's still in control, to tell us to go to the right or to the left, or to answer critical decision questions that we need to be asking. And that's another thing that I want to emphasize about this communication. If it's true communication in any situation, it's a two-way street. When we communicate together, you and I, or you and your spouse, or you and your best friend, one talks, the other one talks, and you don't talk over each other, you talk to one another. And we need to wait and realize our prayer time isn't done until we've heard from God, from His Word. We need to understand that it is a two-way street and we build our ability to hear God and be sensitive to the Spirit's leadings and groanings as we spend time and practice communication. God is not our gopher. God is not a magic genie on light. We only come during 911 times and poof, he makes everything better. God is God. He is our personal Savior. And he wants to have a relationship with us that's based on communication. Do we understand that? Do we practice that? Why do we get mad at God when we don't seem to hear from Him, when we need it desperately during critical moments, but we haven't practiced communicating with Him when things are going even. Okay. Do you like or do I like just hearing from people when they need something or want something? Don't we like just sometimes just to sit down and drink coffee or drink Coke and just fellowship and visit and find out about one another? How are you doing? What's been going on? The last thing I'm going to say on this communication is get real. We don't have to put on a facade. We don't have to put on a mask with God. He wants us to get real. Any questions that I might have, God is a big boy and he can handle them. Any pain I may feel, God can handle. And when I express it to him in, in terms that might be bitter, he can handle that. Even to the point of me accusing him sometimes and then having to repent because it wasn't his fault, it was my fault. He can handle that and he can bring me to where I need to be, where he can speak to me and my heart can heal. The same is true for you. So it's companionship, it's communication, those are the roads of the resurrected life. 
but it's also challenge. You see, in verse 25, he challenges these two guys. He rebukes them, literally. It said, Then he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Hot not the Christ who has suffered these things, and then to enter into his glory. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expanded them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. See, the challenge is based on Jesus' declaration. He, he rebukes them. Why are you unbelieving? In other words, he's saying, don't you remember all the times I told you I was going to have to die and then I'd raise the third day? Haven't you read your scriptures where it really talks about the suffering servant, not just the glories of the Messiah, but his suffering and that he had to suffer? See, they had all these preconceived ideas about who the Messiah would be, what he would do, going to restore nationality and they were trying to, to improve their nationality was, was their faith and just because we're Americans don't mean we're Christians. That's in our day and it was just because they were Jews didn't mean they were really God followers. Does that make sense? But we need to understand, I really think, what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9, when, when, when I read this, you're going to understand it. You're going to know it. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. See, God does things, and oftentimes he doesn't do them how we expect it or when we expect it, but he's God. Too often people get mad at God because they pray and say, he didn't do it for me. Here's what he said. He said, no, that's not good for you. Or he might say, watch this. And he works that and said, this will be better for you. And if we'll trust him, it will be. God is God. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. So don't have preconceived ideas of what God is going to do and how he's going to do it. Just pray, turn it over to him, trust him in faith and let him do it. And then there's that demonstration because he doesn't just declare to them that they're slow and foolish of heart. He demonstrates. He starts with the books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, and he goes all the way through all the prophets, which was their Bible at that time. And in those books, he shows them himself what the Messiah had to endure. That according to the scriptures, he had to die. According to the scriptures, he would rise again. Do we understand that? These men got a crash course in the Bible from Jesus. You see, again, it's of paramount importance that we know our scriptures. It's of paramount importance that we understand the scriptures. And it's of paramount importance that we obey the scriptures. That is not worshiping the Bible. It is worshiping the God who revealed himself in his word, the Bible. It is learning who he is from his word, from the spirit residing within us. Are we doing that? We need to. The fourth thing and the last thing is this. Not only is a resurrected life one of companionship, communication, and challenge, it's one of conquering. You see, they start off with abiding. He's going to walk on. 
they invite Jesus, they urge you to stay with us. The night is far spent. You know, they're, they're excited about what he's been talking about and, and they want to visit some more. Now, the thing that struck me that you don't need to, need to let it pass is this. Without the invitation and the pleas, Jesus was going on his way. But with the invitation and the pleas to stay, they're blessed. And sometimes it's not that Jesus wants to leave us, but sometimes we wallow in it and, and we don't ask him to come and be with us and, and to be with us in a special way through it. And, and we miss our blessing because we're not spending time with him. And we can't conquer some of the problems in life because we miss the blessing because we didn't stay with Jesus. And there's the activity. In that day, remember, they reclined sort of at the table, sort of up on your uh, arm, and you reached out with the bread and did that. And it says Jesus reached out, he, he, he blessed the bread, he broke the bread, and in the breaking of the bread, there was something so familiar, their eyes were open, and they know it's Jesus. And then when he vanishes from their side, he said, didn't our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the way? When we spend time praising God, singing, when we spend time in his word, when we spend time with other Christians, does our heart burn? Are we praying it does? Is there a holy fire there that leads to everyday activities of service to God? Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9, Jeremiah has been complaining to God in this uh, Verse and basically says, God, you misuse me and I've suffered for it. I, I have a reproach and derision daily from these people that you call me to preach to. In verse 9, he says, Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. In other words, he says, I've had enough. And then he says, But his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. And that's the way God's Spirit and God's Word is to be in our hearts, a, a burning fire that if we didn't tell others, if we didn't share, if we didn't praise Him, we would weary from holding it back. Are you holding it back? Are you spending enough time with God and His Word that it just kindles that fire anew and renews you, renews me, renews the church. See, whether we realize it or not, we're getting ready to start back together. And I know that, and I feel like it's time. I feel God is leading us that direction. But do you understand that we're not just going to go back, boom, and we're back to where we were? Do you understand that after this year, and, and I really believe after praying, this is what we were supposed to do. It was God's will to protect us. I want you to hear me. And it's God's will for us to start back. But it's going to be like starting over. You see, they, everything I read says that churches are starting over all over. That means not just starting over and doing the same old thing. It means we're starting. It's like a new work. To get back to where uh, some normalcy, to get back to the ministries God has called us to do, to get back to what God wants us to do. It's a start over. It's, a, it's starting up. It's like being a church planner again. Brother Gaden and I have talked about that. Now, you may not agree with that. You may not even believe that, but I'm telling you, it's so. 
And that means some things for us. It means we don't have preconceived ideas about how God's going to work in this situation. It means that God's word has to be magnified. It means we have to obey. It means there's no such thing as, as uh, hmm, how do I want to say it, holy cows in our church. In other words, there are no such things as ministries that don't need to be tinkered with to get them to start back or done away with and a new ministry started in its place. Ooh, you don't like that. But we need to understand this pandemic was God's way of getting us to focus on Him. If we all we focused on was, we got to get back in the building, then we missed what God has for us as a people, and that's His presence. Don't miss it. But there's a concrete aspect of this. You see, they go back. Think about it. They travel that seven miles, took them most of the day. It's late in the evening. They go back in the dark and arrive later in the evening than they probably should have. They find the 12 and all those with them in that large upper room. And they said, they, got, they go to say, look, we saw Jesus. But before they could, they said, Peter's seen the Lord. He is risen indeed. And they said, let us tell you what happened to us. We saw him too. What a blessing. The presence of God in our lives, and we need to realize, is for conquering. Do we understand that? It's for conquering. Years ago, during the civil rights movement, there was so much unrest that many of the black churches in the South were burned. The Mississippi Baptist Convention had a white staff member assigned to work with these churches. He sat in his car looking at the smoking ruins of another black church building, and he remembered the words of Isaiah 61, 3, in the King James Version, where it says, give unto them beauty for ashes. And he vowed for all these churches, with God's help, he would do that. And under his leadership, the state convention launched an assistance program. Word spread, another denomination asked to help, and money poured in from all parts of the country. And through that program, burned church buildings in black communities were rebuilt. Literally, they were given beautiful new buildings for the ashes. Garlands of victory instead of ashes of defeat. Now maybe that story doesn't touch you. Maybe you think we've been too long, we've been defeated. God's not defeated. The church is not going to be defeated if we trust in Him. But we have to be really willing to conquer the new challenges that life in our country is going to present because of what's happened not just in church, in businesses, in communities, in schools. It's going to be a different day. That does not mean that it's a bad day. It's just different. And if you're like me, we don't like different. So let's pray. Let's follow God's will. Let's get excited about the resurrection journey that we're on and continue on in the power of of Jesus and His will. I love y'all. We'll see you next time. Good day.